You're listening to the Scaling Culture Podcast, where we sit down with thought leaders who share their experiences building incredible workplace cultures. Our guest today is Patty Huska, Chief People Officer for American Express Global Business Travel. She leads the company's human resources function, supporting over 13,500 people globally. Patty is a strong advocate of diversity and inclusion, is on the strategic advisory board of Winnet and GBTA, and has been recognized in the top 40 women in travel. In this episode of Scaling Culture, Ron and Patty discuss Amex's blue box values and Patty's personal culture aha moment when 9-11 happened, how it deeply affected their company culture to this day 20 years later, how to integrate and align companies' cultures when going through an acquisition, and Amic's experience through the pandemic, virtual workplaces, and employee engagement strategies. As they acquire other companies, they face that culture challenge of absorbing an existing culture into their own. And Ron and Patty discuss that unique challenge as well in a global organization. Welcome to another episode of the Scaling Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Lovett. And today I'm extremely excited to have Patty Huska with us, who's the Chief People Officer at Amex Global Business Travel. Patty, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I was so excited uh, as we talked about that you're located in Boston. Boston, I just miss Boston. I go every year with my wife. We go see the Christmas tree that we donate from Halifax to Boston. There's a lot of history there. That's my, right. I'm going to open up those borders and keep coming down. That's right. I read my daughter, the Boston, the the, the, the Halifax explosion um, uh, book, which talks about how Boston helped Halifax during that time and the donation of the massive Christmas tree. Do you know that story? That's, I do. I do. Um, so, yeah, and it's beautiful. And that's going to actually, the tree will go up right around Thanksgiving. That's right. That's right. Yeah. When is, when is the U.S. Thanksgiving? It is the 24th, I believe, this year. November. Right. November. Yeah, we just had ours. I know. Weekend. I know. Happy belated. And I will say rookie move. Uh, I did not, for all those listening, for the U.S. Thanksgiving, I forgot to take my turkey. I put it from the freezer to the fridge the night before. Rookie move. It should have been in the sink. It just, it was not thawed for cooking time. Rookie move. So (laughs) let's move on. Let's get into it. Um, So Patty, I was pumped um, when I saw your name and uh, and Amex. I mean, I'm just a huge Amex fan. And so I was excited to... um, to get the chance to speak to you. So, so let's talk about, um, let, let's give us a quick overview. We've done the intro, but quick overview of Patty and, and your journey uh, as to, and, and, and your journey getting you to today uh, in, in your current role as Chief People Officer. Sure. Um, and again, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. I've had a phenomenal career at Amex and Amex GBT. I was, uh, as I said, born, raised, I've always been in Boston. When I got out of school, I had a minor in human resources and I was working for a headhunting firm. And I was fortunate enough to be hired as a recruiter at Thomas Cook, which was a travel company uh, based out of Cambridge, Mass. Long story short, they were acquired by Amex about three months into me being there. And I was fortunate enough to work on the integration. And I just stayed with the company and had a number of positions where I was commuting back and forth to New York. So I worked in, um, whether it was recruitment, compensation, employee relations, I had a benefit of working across multiple um, areas. 
um, was fortunate to be able to, to stay in Boston. I was virtual, which was great once we started having children. And then about six years ago, the travel division um, spun off into a joint venture, which is still 50% owned by American Express, 50% um, venture capital, and um, then I became the chief people officer of that organization. So it's been a wow. it's been a, a great ride. Um, a number of acquisitions and all around the time along the line, and um, just some phenomenal experiences. I can imagine, and you know, so you really started kind of school ground level, and then really moved, you know, throughout throughout your career. That's really exciting. Uh, obviously, it spoke to you, and and. Um, and, and something you lean into, but I'm, I'm curious, I'm, I'm gonna make the assumption that when you started like culture wasn't maybe on your radar, when did culture become like, wow, this is something to lean into, this is something to think more strategically about, was, it, was there a moment for you during that, during that journey? Yeah, so I would say that there's, there's a couple of things, like if I think of when Thomas Cook, which was also a fantastic company, was more of about a 4,400 person organization based out of, based out of Cambridge. Uh, folks were very passionate about customers and all, but um, so, th so there was a lot of connection on that. But when I joined American Express, I was so taken by the fact that we really do live what we call the blue box values. And so much was around being good in your community, giving back, you know, integrity, things of things of that sort. So that was. And, and sorry, um, Pat, what is blue box yeah. values? Is that just is that a term? So that's what sorry, they called it. So the values of the company, and similar okay. now, like we have, and I can talk about the evolution of that. But mm -hmm. Amex had their values that were around, like being a good citizen, having integrity, th things of that sort. But you really saw that that the company put a premium on that. So right. for example, if you thought about things like performance management at the end of the year, we focused as much on not just your results, but how you got to your results. So mm. ratings on delivery of results and, and leadership. So that was that was something that I think that I was really interested in. But I would say the thing that was a big kind of aha moment for me around culture and people if I reflect back on 9-11, um, on which was such an incredibly challenging time, uh, being, being in Boston and in the travel business, we had, unfortunately, a number of employees that were impacted by 9-11 and quite a few customers as well. And that was um, incredibly painful and, and tragic. But what hit me then, and you know, I was much earlier in my career, but you realize then just the importance of people. So like the amount of compassion that was demonstrated, the way people cared for each other, um, our customers saw like really what, how much people cared about them. So I could give you an example of, we had travel counselors who went out of their way and had cell phones or numbers to find if you were a, com a customer at XYZ company and you happened to be in LA, they hooked you up with somebody who was maybe in San Diego and you'd, rent a car and try to get back across the country. I mean, it was unbelievable, um, unbe unbelievable to share will to get people back home to their loved ones. And to me, like it just, there was a lot about lasting relationships, but there was a big like aha moment for me around the importance and value of leadership, really servant leadership, showing like personal connections to people and just the importance of when you're being in a leadership position. And at that point, it was more like, you know, looking towards the more senior leaders in the organization, 
But the fact that like leaders need to define reality, give hope, you get through a situation like that. And that has actually really stayed with me throughout my career in other times when there have been challenges. But I saw this like level of connection and engagement from um, employees that, um, although it was a very tragic situation, I think it's something I've carried through through my career and really made me realize how important culture in the organization was. So, so it sounds like the you were introduced to the blue box values. And, and at that point, it was like, okay, this is what the company does. Interesting. But 9-11 sounds like a... For, as I was listening, an aha moment for you to say, wow, these people showed up, like these values actually came through in behaviors. Wow, this is impactful. Am I getting that right? Yes. And it was not only in what I've also learned through my career, through ups and downs and pandemics and everything else that's, that's happened. It's not only about showing up on that day of that event, but it's showing up for the long haul, right? So people look and people see how you treat people we, we went and back at that time, and there's been other dips in, in all in the economy for if you've had to even go through reductions in force or whatnot, like people look to see how do you treat people. And I've learned like just a lot about the importance of that. But again, it's the showing up, but being the consistent and consistency over the long, over the long haul is just, just incredibly important. And so, and people, that, but, yeah, please go I was on. just say, but that moment feels like it was obviously tragic, but inspiring for you. And oh. so it, it kind of gave you this kind of like, wow, I'm, I'm all in. Is that right? Yeah. And the whole thing in terms of pride, just pride. And so mm-hmm. pride in the organization, pride in the leaders. And that's something that I don't take lightly, you know, and I'm um, um, incredibly blessed to be in, in the role that I'm in now on the, on the senior executive team, but I take it really seriously that People look in terms of your actions, they look in terms of your words, and you do need to kind of set that example. And, um, but there's also something about leadership happens at all levels of the organization. So when, when I look at not just 9-11, but then the, the other things that have happened, the, the impact that a frontline employee, so whether that was a travel counselor or somebody getting somebody home was frankly as important as the actions of people who were running at the time a 80,000 person organization, if you will. So we can all like make such an impact on people and what we do, regardless of the role that you're in, in an organization. And I think that is something that's really has, um, has stuck with me. And for me, I mean, it's why I've been with the company, oh my goodness, now like 25 years. So I guess I like it, but um, it says something just about when people feel that they can bring their best self to work and contribute, it, it becomes not, it's not just a job, but it really does become, and I would call it like part of your family. And for me also, I think that I've been really privileged when I look back on all those kind of life moments of being an adult, whether it's getting engaged, married, good times, bad times, it's, I've, I've had that like extended colleague experience has just been phenomenal. Well, I, I was curious because, you know, my experience with Amex has always been good from anyone I've talked to on the phone to a, you know, frontline agent or worker. It, it, it reminds me um, in ways to, you know, when you go into a Starbucks versus an ABC coffee house, there's just something different about the interactions. And, and so I was curious, is there something you guys do broadly from an interview standpoint and onboarding that might be different that, that 
ensures that type of alignment or is it just happens to be of great people? You know, I think that I think that's actually a great question. And it's something that we continue to refine. So I believe when you're when you're hiring, so it's not just about capabilities, but you do need to hire for fit. So in leadership positions, how do people handle difficult situations? What's their commitment for developing people at the individual contributor level? I look very much for like um, intellectual curiosity. Do people want to grow and develop? Like you can really, you know, back in the day, we would do much more of like the formal competency-based interviews. You don't necessarily have that as much now. I mean, in some roles you, you, you would, but there is something about really hiring people that you think would be a cultural fit. And I think where that's important is in your branding, how you position the company to make sure that people are clear on kind of what's your North Star, what's your vision, what does it mean to be a colleague in that organization? In fact, it's little things like we're very deliberate now that we, we talk about colleagues versus employees. So like, how do you, um, because it's just language. kind of, that's a, yeah, the language, the language matters. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But, did, you know, you talked about transitioning and acquisitions, but that's got to get messy, right? So if you take a company that you've acquired that has their own blue box values, their own culture, how does, what's MX's strategy when it comes to acquisitions and in an aligning culture? Yeah, that, that's a... Um... That's a really interesting and timely question I've been through. So not only was acquired, but having been through well, probably seven or eight acquisitions that have led over, over my career, to me, I think that it's important in the beginning, you need to, you need to listen. And for me, like culture and bringing two organizations together, it can't just be the words on a page of now we're X organization. But I go back to, again, understanding like what's your North Star? What do you want the new organization to be? And then really investing to understand from both companies, what are the real points of pride? What are the norms? What is the language? So I, I see, you know, we're, we're in the process of, of, of closing an acquisition that we announced um, earlier in the year with Agencia that is a just a leader in the um, tech space um, for, for corporate for corporate travel. They're, they're a division of um, Expedia. And it's incredibly important that we understand what are their norms, what are their, what are their, um, their points of pride, taking the time to listen and figure out what is it that you want to be. And you know, we're, we're kind of in the beginning of that journey. But if I think about, oh, probably about four years ago now, three, three, four years ago we um, acquired an organization called HRG and they were a travel organization that was based out of the UK. And we spent a great deal of time on understanding culture and our norms and developed what was the joint culture gonna be going forward. And again, you can't just send that out on the PowerPoint. You need to understand from the frontline employees, the leaders, what's the direction you're gonna go into. And we established these three, we've, we've put everything across three pillars that when we think about MXGBT, it's all about people, passion, progress. Easy to remember and to really have very clearly stated your mantra around how do we invest in our people? Um, it goes back to your recruitment question in terms of, you know, are we passionate about our customers? Are you passionate about your colleagues? 
And then on the progress front, like what are we doing in terms of innovation, et cetera? So I think those, those things are, are important when you're, um, when you're going through a transformation like that. So, so it sounds like at that point, you guys looked internally, externally and said, we need to create a new set of values. Am I so even Amex kind Joint. of pivoted. So, yes. So okay. when we separate, when we, so if you think about, um, so for Amex GBT, when we were wholly owned by American Express, right? So, so we, we, we shifted still 50% owned by Amex, but we, we're our own entity. You were basically taking a 150-year-old organization and taking at the time 12, 14,000 people. It feels like it was a lifetime ago. <laughs> How many? Picking that up, plopping it, and creating a startup environment. So that was wild, wow. right? So oh, you take yeah. literally, so you take an entire division of a company and set up new HR systems, new technology, new processes. But at the same token, so you wanted to have this entrepreneurial startup mentality, but also ensuring that everything we do is still rooted in the values and the integrity from American Express and that rich heritage. So is that a process that you would continue to go through in an acquisition? Like kind of always go back and dust off the values and say, okay. I, yeah, yes, I think so. And I think you need to set really clear measurements. So we do um, engage, colleague engagement surveys and we're very clear, we, we're very specific. We don't ask, you know, pages upon pages of questions, it's usually a max of, probably 15 to 30 questions if it's a pulse or a full survey, but a very specific in terms of whether or not you're clear on the purpose and mission of the company. Do you feel like you have an opportunity to succeed? You know, just very, we have some just like very pointed questions and you continue to check in on that. And I think organizations evolve as well. So making sure that you're, you're dusting off what's the strategy, what's the short-term plan, what's the long-term plan. And I think the way that whether you're going through an acquisition or if you're a company that's not going through that degree of change, it's incumbent upon, I think, for leaders and to be really successful to ensure, regardless, again, of what your role is in the company, that you can look at the company's strategy and purpose and know, here's how I play in that. Here's like how I can make a difference. Mm -hmm. And that's just something we, we spent, we spend a lot of time on. And I do think that that's something that you need to continue to refresh and go back on. Yeah. And I feel like this has evolved over the, over time for Amex, right? And so, what are some of the key roadblocks you've seen or, or things that you're like, wow, you know, we tried it that way and really had to adjust. Was there one or two things, big lessons along the way, you know, you talked about really listening, what else that, that you were like, wow, we, that we now need to implement this. We learned from, from, from the last deal. Yeah. So if I think about roadblock, I don't know if, if, if I can shift a bit of a so roadblock, yeah. probably lessons learned in terms yeah. of also kind yeah, of like as well too is never say nothing's going to change, right? So you need to be so deliberate in the world, in the wording, because I can tell you things do change. You know, I, I can think of through my career when I was supporting the corporate card division, we had acquired a um, financial services organization and made the statement to the employees that, um, you know, we value you all, there'll be no reductions in force. This isn't about efficiencies, et cetera, et cetera. And then a financial crisis hit. So that had nothing to do with the acquisition, but in the end of the day, there was some tough decisions that needed to be made. But people remember as they should, and will say, you stood up on that stage <laughs> and you said, 
right? And then it's hard to say, well, yeah, but that changed. So you need to be very careful in terms of the words. Um, so I think that's important. I think the other thing that can be roadblocks is there's, this, there's a fine balance between saying we want to take the best of both and understand what's really important to you and your organization. But sometimes there are things that just fundamentally have to change. So in, in our case, for example, we, we abide by bank holding rules. So whether you, whether you like it or not, there's a certain level of compliance and security that, that we abide by. But so there's some of those things that, that sometimes can take like a little bit of an adjustment for people. So I think you also need to be very clear on like kind of what the negotiables and what the non-negotiables are. Um, yeah, Cause there's going to be lines in the sand. There's going to be absolutely. values that you're not going to move away from. Right. Absolutely. Whether it's compliance or deep rooted in behaviors. And to me, again, that goes back to leadership as well too, of being really comfortable in your own skin too, that I think you owe it. We all owe it to like our colleagues to be really direct. And, and that's the whole piece around you know, I could still go back to like define reality, give hope, but also give like sort of the explanation on why things sort of are the way that they are. And I think the only other thing I would say, like in terms of what roadblocks or could be challenges is, you know, we're a global organization. Um, we have, I have people in uh, just about every major market around the world. You need to, the way you communicate in the U.S. is very different than the way you communicate in Singapore or Sweden or France. And so it's being, making sure that you adjust. Um, you, you need to have your overall core global messages. But um, I've learned along the way, you can't be too controlling. You also need to empower senior leaders in particular countries or markets to then adjust those messages, keep to the core message, but use the language that fits based on the culture. Right. Don't, don't use a script. Be authentic you know, exactly. the headline's the headline, but, but say the, the Boston messages. version of the story, right. right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it isn't going to work, work everywhere. But, but that's an interesting point because I think some people even take that communication piece for granted versus saying, hey, let's be clear. We want to get this message out, but you own the message, right? You own the message. And you also, I think, need to ensure that sometimes we do a great job of managing messages at, you know, more senior levels of the organization. But at the end of the day, the person who touches the customer is typically the frontline employee. You need to make sure that like are those messages resonating and you have like appropriate mechanisms in place to get feedback. Because that, that's something that we, we have found. We, we actually just introduced something called the um, GBTI. It's our entrepreneurs. And we had um, colleagues from around the world uh, apply to be part of this like think tank to help um, direct the strategy of the executive team. And then they put videos. It, it was, it was amazing. We had in, in the end of the day, it was two levels. When we got to the final part, there was 150 people put these vid amazing videos about their stories and why they're passionate. And it's a mix of people globally. It's a group of about 12 and they're literally, before we roll out the next version of our growth strategy, they're opining on that. They're giving us feedback on it. It's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, we joke with my, with my, my, my boss, the CEO, who's looking around the room saying, I think I have my succession plan, folks. <laughs> but that's the power of you have to go to the folks who touch the customer to, to really get the, the feedback on, um, on kind of the real deal, how things work. 
think some people forget that that's also part of the change management process and buy-in. Exactly. So as we have looked at, even in the pandemic, we've stayed very focused on the mantra of build back better and looking at how do you set up the organization for the future in terms of taking out complexity, empowering people. Now, there's certainly a cost element to that as well, that when you simplify and make sure that we're having resources focused on very value-added customer-focused activities versus um, more around administrative compliance. I mean, there's, comp- there's compliance that we need to do, but um, the, the more that you can empower your colleagues and push decision-making down to the most common denominator, it's just, you can, it's amazing how much you can unleash potential. You know, it's funny. I had this, um, and, and, and I think that, you know, as I reflected on the word autonomy, I'm going back to a conversation I had with a coworker where we were really misaligned. I, I feel like autonomy, uh, I should have done a better job in explaining what I believe autonomy was. And when I think of autonomy, because empowerment to me is autonomy. Yeah. But I think some people look at it, autonomy as free for all. And it's not. In my opinion, uh, and my, from my experience, autonomy is, you know, our company certainly has great systems, processes, tools, resources, support, checks, and balances. But autonomy for me is more about you're not going to systemize everything. And you want someone to have the autonomy to make a decision for a situation they haven't run across before. Uh, autonomy means be innovative, be creative, uh, speak up have the autonomy to have your voice. Is that how you see it? And is that how Amex views autonomy? Yes. So when I think of autonomy, probably four things come to mind. It's about, I think in order, people, sometimes folks will say they want autonomy, but I don't know if they actually do because you need to own your decisions. You need to be accountable. I think you have to have great follow through and good decision-making. But there's also a piece that, um, you know, and I've been incredibly fortunate. I have a very strong team. I do give them a lot of autonomy, particularly in the areas of HR technology and things that I'm not particularly strong in. So I know that for the, the gentleman who runs that for me, he does make good decisions. But then if there's an issue, there's a thing too, but when you give people like autonomy that they also know when you want the bad news to travel is um, even faster than the good news. So meaning if there's an issue to know like when you escalate things, but if you, if you have, if you have a team of people who are accountable, they own their decisions, they have great followership, they know or follow through and they know, um, when to raise an issue, you can give them autonomy all day long. And it's amazing again, how much, um, I think you can unleash the potential of an organization. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, one of the key strategies we implemented, and you know, I have a, a, a book that was released in 2018, Outrageous Empowerment, and the subtitle is, you know, the incredible story of giving employees their brains back. And that was through autonomy, but we, we tried to systemize it. And through that, Patricia, what we did is we told everybody, if you're going to do something, ask yourself three, if it's something you haven't dealt with on a day-to-day basis, ask yourself these three simple questions. Is what you're about to do the right thing for the customer? Is it the right thing for our business based on our values and our purpose? And are you willing to be accountable for your decision? And that was a very helpful process. 
What do you think about a process like that? And does Amex have a similar kind of, well, here's a, a guideline for making decisions. I like that. Um, I like that a lot, actually. I'm going to steal that. But I, um, we what we've gotten a bit away from, and you're actually giving me some, some great ideas here. You know, years ago, we were very focused on principle-based decision-making models and putting out mm. some of those key questions. I think that's great because as much as you can encourage folks to kind of step back and ask yourself some questions around alignment. You can also say, because, you know, if, if I think of myself earlier in my career, like I would have, if somebody asked me to go off and then say, you know, cut off your arm, I'd cut off the arm, but I'd forget to ask if it was the right or the left, you know, like which one did they need? Right. <laughs> so you do need to sometimes step back and, um, and, and create that that time of that time of thinking. Um, but yeah, I, I love that. Well, you know, it's funny. There was two things that we found from that and continue to find, you know, um, one was it was a pre-coaching conversation because you'd say, okay, Pat, are you going to do something? And you, you'd be noodling around an idea and say, well, walk me through the decision-making process. What's your plan? Or post, hey, I want to go back to what you did yesterday. Can you walk me through the decision-making process? And that gave it some stickiness and so my, 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 I recently, I sold that company in 2017. I have a company that does affordable living now across Canada and moving into the US. And so we pivoted the question. So now it's, is it the right thing, not for the customer, but for the community? Because mm. these are multi-res family apartments and the right thing for the customer would be allow the customer to play their music loud, but not the right thing for the community. Uh, right thing for our purpose and values of revolutionizing affordable communities. And are you willing to own the decision? So similar-ish, but we're still using the framework. I like that. I like that a yeah, lot. Yeah, it's been helpful. So so steal as you as you like. Uh, <laughs> and so can you walk me through, I, I don't know, you know, what, what did Amex in, in regards to global business travel look like pre and post pandemic on, on workforce? And what strategies do you guys have to to continue to engage folks yeah so we had so clearly being in um, a corporate travel business the pandemic was you know devastating for us so our revenues were cut by 95 percent immediately just cut right so we wow. had thousand people no revenue we're incredibly fortunate that wow we're a very strong balance sheet but i mean you're literally bleeding millions of dollars a month so we did a couple of things and I'm proud of how we came out of that. Again, the industry came to a halt. We um, took advantage of, you know, fortunately many countries like the US, Europe, Canada had programs. My office or my, what became my then my home office was like a war room of what are the programs in each different, you know, country. Oh, yeah. But we had to do furloughs. We had um, those that were on, that were still with us on pay reductions, but we did a couple of things in order to um, maintain the engagement of our employees. We were very transparent on what was happening. We um, made sure that for people who were on a furlough or in some cases actually severed, our commitment was we, we actually paid 100% of their health insurance because from oh, my wow. perspective, you, you have a, a health, you know, mag, huge magnitude of a pandemic. You need, you, we owe that again, going back to your values. So we did that. And then we created this alumni network where we extended 
learning and development opportunities for anybody who's furloughed. We spent a lot of time and focus on mental health. So while people were out, you could learn a language, you could do whatever you wanted to do there. Uh, and we distilled, again, like there was central global um, principles, but the messages were distilled at the local country level. When we started to bring people back and did our employee engagement surveys, our employee engagement is actually up. So we have like above best in class engagement and our retention's been good. And what people have told us was they were just so impressed and proud of like the level of respect we treated people with. Wow. So you, so you think, you know, it was the respect, which is probably compassion, empathy, transparency. Some of the things you talked about wrapped into a bow, you know, and, and, and which drove respect and drove, drove engagement. It sounds like that was. Um, it's that and constant communication. So whether they were, and it was written video messages from our CEO, from myself, local leaders. Yeah. I feel like that's, you know, no one ever gets in trouble for over communicating. You know, they, they, it just doesn't happen. And sometimes you have this, I'm sure it's happened to you. It happens to me. You have this thought of, should I? And it's like, no, you should, as soon as you, you have that thought, right? You, you, you absolutely should. And I think it's important too, to show your own, you know, show a bit of your personal side too. So, and, and that's why I think it's important also that you're always communicating. So you're not all of a sudden, the pandemic comes or something else and you know you're this the new face to people i want to make sure that people are our colleagues are hearing from myself and from the rest of the senior leadership team on a very regular basis so then you have like that you you develop a level of trust so it's so critical that when somebody looks at you that they know like you know i can actually trust that person or i know that there's actually action that's behind the words like we, we, we've actually we launched a program called ask me anything so our ceo will just very simple videotape the people just start sending in questions and he'll ask he'll answer anything i mean personal it's actually a lot of fun but is that monthly patty or how, quarterly he started and now we're gonna we're we're actually kicking it off it's gonna be it's gonna be probably about a monthly monthly activity cool. it's fantastic but I do think that connecting with people and building that trust is um, is is just so important. You can't you can't wait for tough times and then show up. You got to show up consistently. Well, you know, a, a few things come to mind. One, I think that vulnerability equals bravery. You know, and 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 Holly Delaney, who was the chief people officer at Zappos, um, she's since left and and moved to a new role. But she was talking to me one time about when she's had to have these tough conversations during tough times of business. And one of the things that I've, um, I really liked about her messaging was she said, you know, when I do that, I, I start off by saying, and here's what I'm concerned about. Here's what's keeping me up. And here's what I think, you know, here's what I'm worried about, you know, so just, just to knowing kind of to pull the elephant in the room, make that connection and say, I'm also human. You know, it's not just leader versus employees. We're co-stakeholders. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that that's, and, and I have just found when you show that vulnerability and, you know, not everyone, everybody has different styles. I'm, I'm very much an open book. The folks on my team know, hear about the, the highs and lows of being a working mom and everything else, but you just, um, that there are the days that 
you know, you're trying to do the, the, the carpool and run HR for a company, but it, um, you, you, again, it just makes such a difference in the interpersonal relationships and people will go the extra mile when they know that you will do the same for them. Right. Yeah. It's that connection. It's trust. It's those things Absolutely. that, yeah. Well, we'll it's look taking the time to know it's taking the time to know what makes somebody tick. I mean, not everybody is, is into like, you know, I'm, as I said, I, I, have, a, I have a couple of kids, anybody who's on my team, I make sure I know their children's names are, but that's not for everyone. Some people have, whether they have a passion, whether it's music or whatever their, you know, sort of quote unquote thing is, that stuff matters and to call people by their name. And when you're in the office, as we're starting to go back to take the time to walk around, say hello, it might sound silly and just very obvious, but not everyone does it. (laughs) Well, it's funny. I wonder what's going to happen in this virtual environment because building trust is you have to be very intentional about it, very purposeful and strategic. It's not as easy as, as, Hey, how are you doing today, Patty? How was your weekend? It's, you know, um, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And um, before we wrap Patty, what else, is there anything else in your mind that we haven't talked about that you think would be interesting or, or uh, that you'd like to share regardless, regardless of people, culture, strategy, yeah, I mean, I have I've really enjoyed this conversation. I mean, I think that um, it's coming out of the well, hopefully coming out of the pandemic. Now, I do think that any people are tired. I think the Zoom world, it's been great. Like we have, for example, in the U.S., close to ninety percent of our employees are virtual and always have been. So we run a very virtual workforce. But I do think after this period of time, that whole piece of personal connection, hmm. it's time to get people back together back together again i agree and you know i'll add to that i i saw um there's a gentleman by the name of john love who's a um i've had him on the podcast who runs a very successful real estate company out of canada and he posted something and i reposted it and it was about a video of a gentleman uh, from the u.s i can't remember who it was but it's on my linkedin thread who who was saying about um the uh the 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 problem with this virtual environment is the younger workforce will lack management and people managing skills because of this and i had not thought about that yes how to look i I will tell you the first time i went back we reopened our office in new york and i commute down sometimes it's an adjustment but i see that even with my own kids if you want people to still know how to look somebody in the eye how do i give them a handshake and not a fist bump i mean we'll do it but just some, some basic social skills. Right. And it's just been all, it's just been a long time. And, and you do miss, I mean, I think a lot of that relationship stuff does happen in the, in the hallway, in the elevator, but uh, even in a virtual environment, it's being super deliberate on making sure are you not checking your email while you're having a conversation with somebody? Do you maybe show up in the meeting a few minutes early or start a few minutes late to actually chat with people? But th- there is something to be said of making sure that we don't lose that personal connection. That's right, because it, it sounds like it might probably going when I when I heard that and listened to the video, I thought, yeah, it's probably going to be a little more challenging to build leadership, corporate leadership skills, you know, in this environment yeah. for younger yeah. folks nothing, that haven't done it, right? Together, absolutely, right. absolutely. Yeah. It takes a lot of takes. I've I've always I mean I have um, direct reports all around the world, and I will tell you, it is. It's easier to do it when you're all sitting in the same building. It takes a lot of um, effort and, and discipline to make sure you're kind of showing the love <laughs> and making it a fun and engaging environment. 
Absolutely. Well, Patty, look, it's been wonderful having you on. It's been great Thank to get you. to know you. I'm going to keep you on my, I'm going to send you a beeper because when I get to Boston, I like the old pager stuff. Absolutely. And I to I'm going to make you. my way to Halifax. Please do. You, my home is mi casa es tu casa. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Was that, did that make any sense? Do you speak Spanish? Maybe not. It did, it did, it did. Okay, Absolutely. good. So yes, please do put uh, Halifax on your bucket list. And uh, thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, let's keep in touch. I did as well. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Take care. For more information about Patty, please connect with her on LinkedIn. For more information about the Scaling Culture Podcast or the Scaling Culture Masterclass, go to scalingculture.org. And if you're enjoying the Scaling Culture Podcast, please subscribe and share. We'll be back next week with another incredible guest.